Hello and welcome to the Clever Tykes podcast, Creating Useful People. I'm Jodie Cook and today I'm joined by Deepak Taylor, the founder of latestfreestuff.co.uk, the largest freebie website in the UK. Deepak's sites reach over a million consumers every single month. He's been a contestant on the BBC show Dragon's Den and is the author of an Amazon best-selling book called How to Live for Free. Deepak, a huge welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I was really interested to learn that you started your very first business when you were just 16. Can you tell me a bit more about what that business involved? What I started at that point was just experimenting with the internet. A few weeks before that, I learned about this amazing thing called eBay, which was kind of new at that point. And I know it's embedded into our life now. It seemed at that point, I guess, people if they wanted to sell something they had to go to a market or they had to go into a cash converters or they had to I don't know they had to talk to people to sell something but there was this amazing so all I started doing after like a couple of weeks was annoyingly to my mum was actually selling the things around the house so anything that shelled of her stuff that she had lying around or in cupboards started selling little clocks plates kitchen stuff house stuff and just making five or six pounds from all these different places and from there I realized that I could actually start going to my poundland and selling stuff from Poundland and people were paying three, four pounds for this stuff that I could pick up from Poundland. So that I spent the whole summer doing stuff like that. And that was just, uh, yeah, it was an interesting summer when I was 16, making money on the site. Did you tell your mom when you were selling her possessions from around the house? I told her sometimes, but sometimes she didn't mind. Sometimes she was quite impressed that she could get five or six pounds or something that she was thought was complete junk. So I think she liked it. So you started off selling things on eBay and then how did that turn into your own first business? From there, I actually became a power seller within about six months on eBay as a company because we ended up getting over a thousand, I think it was a thousand sales or a thousand feedback. And one day I realized people were actually selling Microsoft Office or a version of Microsoft Office for five pounds. And in those days, I think Microsoft Office and Word and Excel and PowerPoint, I don't know if you remember, but they used to cost three, four hundred pounds. And they were very, very expensive. But people weren't selling the official version. They were selling an open source software called OpenOffice, which was completely free to anyone to download. But what they were doing was downloading onto a CD, a plain blank CD, and actually selling it for four or five pounds delivered to a consumer. So we ended up... Well, I ended up becoming one of the power sellers in that industry and burning all this software and buying stacks of blank CDs, buying thousands of stamps, hundreds of envelopes, and just every day selling 10 or 15 of these CDs out to customers. And never had any negative feedback. People seemed to love it because they, instead of them spending £400 on this expensive software, you could get away with doing it on open office. So... It's an interesting summer. What had led up to the point <laughs> that sixteen-year-old Deepak thought, "Yeah, why not? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this eBay thing a go." I think it was more just experimenting. So normally, I would have argued all my friends at that point were all playing football or playing tennis or hanging out cinema. But I wanted to try something new and seeing and kind of experiment with all these different platforms that were coming out because they were quite new to try and make a bit of extra pocket money on the side because we we never as whilst I was growing up we never had everything in our lives but I didn't want to rely on my mum for all the money so I wanted to try and have an independent source of money that I could rely on but it was more just experimenting what did your parents do when you were growing up 
Um, so my mum's a tax advisor and she worked for a company for 20 years and then she started her own company, which is, I think it's close to her 20, 20th anniversary now of her company starting. So that's probably where I get the entrepreneurial side. I've always seen how she grew her company from nothing to, I think she has like 100 or 200 clients now. So how old were you when she first started her company? Must have been about eight or nine, I think. So very young. And do you remember, did she talk to you about it at the time? She did. And I think we had, at that point, we were discussing how to get the company out there. Obviously, I didn't know about how to advertise a company. And at that point, there was no Google that you could go and jump on or set up a website. So we ended up advertising in the Ilford Recorder, which is like a local newspaper. And that was a big decision because I think we were paying £15 just for one line entry. So that was a big jump at that point, and that was like a whole day evening discussion. But it's, you kind of laugh back at it now. It's just not how the print industry works anymore. So did the advertising work then? The advertising did work, I think. within We thought it might not work, but within like a few weeks, we had, or my mum had, lots of clients coming in, and I think some of those clients are with her still today. So it seemed to work quite well. So as your mum was growing her business then, what, what do you remember about what she told you about winning clients and doing the work and everything that that involved? Um, so she always said to work hard and make sure you deliver value to people, which is what I've always followed through with that mantra with what I do now. But she always went beyond what what was expected of her. She was a tax advisor and she was filling in the annual tax return for everyone. But she always went far beyond helping someone so if she if they need help with accounts or they need help with learning or understanding how things work she always went that far and that's what I kind of got from her and it's exactly what we try and do now even though we're in a completely different market and different industry we now try and always deliver the most value to someone possible. Let's talk about school and education and that kind of thing so what what was your experience of school? I always liked school, but I think I now look back at it as a time when I had no pressure. And I think you don't realize when you're in school and kind of day-to-day life what it's like. But it's, it's only when they throw you out of the education system do you realize how at that point you have no pressure at all, no responsibilities, no one to rely on. Now you look back at it and you realize how things were. But in terms of school, I was always quite a quiet person and always had stage frights and would never be at the front of a classroom engaging with lots of people and always had a close-knit group of friends but otherwise it was always positive so I love school. That's so interesting that you had like stage fright and you didn't like getting up in front of people because fast forward I don't know 15 years or so and you're on Dragon's Den like that's that's got to take some courage to be in front in front of the dragons on national television so how did you go from being scared of it to signing up for Dragon's Den? I think that was well I guess there was probably about 15 years in between but I guess it's progressive of how things changed. I remember the first Dragon's Den episode was actually showed to me during school so my business teacher at the time who I still stay in contact with he had showed us a the second episode of the first series as one of the business classes lessons. So we'd taken the whole hour off just to watch this show instead of following the curriculum or whatever we were supposed to be doing. And I think that's probably where things kick-started my journey on to Dragon's Den, when he actually showed me the TV show at that point. But I never, ever thought I'd ever go on it because it seemed like the most insane, surreal thing you could ever do. 
But I guess with the company, how things developed, I was actually forced into lots of different things. Because when you start hiring staff and when you start going into awards, all these little things add up and it starts putting you in a position where you need to just not be frightened of things and you just need to go ahead and do things. But Dragon's Den, even then, was like a huge step forward because kind of speaking in an award ceremony with 50 or 100 people is something that going in front of what seems like two or three million people watching you, that was a completely different experience. But in the end, it just came down to practice. And I knew I just had to practice, practice, practice and know everything about the company, which is what I've done in the end. <laughs> so is that the way that you prepare for things now, just, just practice? Yeah, it's practice and being prepared for what I think might come, because then as long as you're a few steps ahead of everyone else, you're never going to be intimidated or get slowed down or you're going to come across professionally in every environment, really. So, yeah, it seemed to work in the end. But it was the scariest thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) So your business teacher then, who you're still in touch with now, what were they like? So he was always, I think, the most inspirational person I had growing up. But again, you don't really realize it until you've left the education system, because he probably inspired me with all the stories that he had. And rather than the theory, he brought brought things into real life. And it's only when you look back at it, do you realize how much of an impression someone had on you. And he actually, I think he worked his way up and he was a deputy head teacher. I think it was a year after my Dragon's Den thing. And he invited me back to become one of the speakers to speak at the award ceremony at the school, which was actually really nice. And to see everyone there and who had watched the show and be in front of everyone to inspire them, the next generation going forward, was really nice. And that was all down to the business teacher. Can you think of any examples of, of anything that he did in a lesson or companies that he told you about in a lesson that, that really stuck with you or really inspired you at the time? I think the one thing that sticks out was when he talked about the Ford, I don't know if you know, but there was a Ford power plant in Dagenham, which makes cars. And they've got these two wind turbines, which they just, that was new technology at that point 20 years ago. But the wind energy was actually powering half the plant, um, which I thought at that point was phenomenal, considering how much pollution we were creating in the world and how much We were destroying the world with all these fossil fuels. They had built two huge turbines, wind generators, which was powering half the cars in that area from being produced. So that's one thing that sticks out, but only because I drive past it every few weeks. So (laughs) So is that like a, I was trying to, I was thinking about latestfreesoft.co.uk and and that it's, it's pretty much set up to help people. Like it's almost a social enterprise. Like it's got, it's very much got a social agenda. Was that kind of brought into your business lessons so it was to some extent but I guess when I set up the company as a whole I wasn't doing it for monetary value or to make lots of money it was more to help people save money because it's interesting that you talk about social enterprise but when I set up the company the kind of UK was deep in a recession at that point or we were at the end of the recession and people were still struggling with paying the household bills and people were still struggling with putting food on the table and I wanted latest free stuff to be an outlet for people to try before they buy so they it would even up their financial budgets and it would help them in different ways but the kind of mantra of the company which I've always followed through with is just to try and impact or help them for five minutes a day because that's how I've learned that the big companies do it. So if you look at some of the biggest companies like Amazon or Apple or 
any of these big companies, they kind of, if they have an influence on you for four or five minutes of a day, you normally remember them. And we've got hundreds of thousands of people who receive our newsletters or social media or website or visit the website who kind of, in some way, shape or form, we change part of their life from applying for these offers or clicking these offers and improving their lives in some way. So that's kind of what we follow. When in the journey did latest free stuff come to be? Like how did it develop from the eBay business? In between the eBay business and launching latest free stuff, I had actually started different websites out of university. And by the end of university, I had learned how to make single websites, but each of them were completely different. So one would be a comparison engine for someone to order a free SIM card. One would be a website for you to order spy equipment. And there's all these different categories. But by the time I finished university and was just about to go on like a world backpacking trip, I had about 80 different websites. And all of these websites weren't very big. They were quite small. So each one only had 50 to 100 visitors. But I felt like at the end of the trip, they weren't having an impact on people's lives. So I wanted to set up one big platform where I could really make a difference in people's lives. And that's where Latest Free Stuff was born because I thought there's other companies who do this right now. But they were full of what I would consider spammy offers because if if I talk to someone in the street and they and I said you can have this free mascara for completely free, normally they'll think there's a catch of some kind or there'll be postage or you'll have to fill in a survey or you'll have to review things. But everything on our site is completely free, no postage and no delivery charge. And we work hard to do that. Yeah, it's, I've seen those before. Like you get a free mascara or something, but then you have to pay £7.50 to get it delivered. And, and then you're like, well, <laughs> that sounds suspicious. <laughs> yeah, so we try and stay, well, we do stay away from all of those offers and everything on the site we have is hand-picked to make sure that it's all genuine. Therefore, protecting the user. So that's what we do now. So when you were making your 80 different websites, was that along the line of of the experimentation of of just setting stuff up and seeing what happened? It was to some extent because it was it was me trying to learn or find my path in the world. So there was lots of other different types of websites where I was just pushing on the boundaries of what I should be doing and what shouldn't be doing. But all of all of the sites, they were experimenting with different kinds of business models. So one would have been how to sell subscription products. One would have been like a shopping cart. One would be traditional advertising with banner advertising. Some were with PayPal, where you could buy digital subscriptions. So when I look back at it now, I didn't realize at the time, I was actually just trying to work out which one I liked and which one would make an impact on people's lives. And yeah, it was a, it was an interesting time because I used that month, same money to go backpacking around the world too whilst I had these websites, whilst I could run from my laptop. It was good. Good fun. So all the stuff that you learned then, presumably coding the websites, designing the websites, like doing all the advertising, was it all self-taught? So that's the interesting part, but I never actually have, I still to this day don't have any coding or development background, but I learned how to outsource all of this to people around the world. So I had a team whilst I was backpacking, two or three developers who had hired from Philippines or Southeast Asia, and they were actually doing some of the work that I didn't understand because I've never been very good from a development point of view because I just don't understand the code of things and how HTML works in PHP, and it just it goes all over my head, so I never understand how that all works. But we always had a good support system 
of people who I could go to to help me with those problems. So while you were 16 then, while you were setting up this empire of sites, what were your closest friends doing? They would traditionally, they would always be playing football or they'd be playing tennis or they'd be hanging out in the cinema. Sometimes I would join them, but I guess I was always more interested in what I was doing in all the stuff that I was doing right now. So when they're like, come on, Deepak, come and play football or tennis or come to the cinema, and you were like, no, I'm working on my websites. I mean, peer pressure is a big thing, especially for teenagers. So did you have the confidence to say, no, I'm, I'm going to go do my thing now? Yes, to some extent. But I guess that's when my love of automation began, because I started automating the things that were taking up my time so I could actually spend time on doing the things I wanted to do, which I kind of always tried to find that balance. And every time, so an example is when I started selling those CDs, I realized that Royal Mail will actually pick up all the products. And they actually have their own warehouses where you can store products too. So eventually I almost completely automated everything apart from the customer service when something went wrong. So there were little things like that which helped me to kind of work out that work-friend-family balance. I'm always trying to balance to make sure it works for everyone. So did your friends know what you were working on? They did. So they were always, I would argue they would always, they were always quite fascinated with what I'd done considering none of them knew anyone who could do stuff like this so I actually set up a few websites for them and we actually used the money on one of the summers to actually go on holiday so one of them had made 300 pounds one of them made 400 pounds using some form of advertising on google and by the end of the summer I think we all went to Spain just from a complete friend's holiday so which was good and interesting we still talk about that today (laughs) (laughs) and then I guess you had the automation all in place so that you could just go play football and your sites would still run and make money yeah exactly so that was always there stuff still went wrong but that's where I kind of had that hard work ethic and when everyone was asleep or when it was getting very late at night that's when I could pick up the laptop and actually start working on everything so So then later on in your education, so I noticed from, I think it was from your LinkedIn that you went to university. What was the decision behind choosing further education rather than choosing entrepreneurship at that time? University was, I think, just ingrained into me as family life. Um, It was just something that traditionally everyone done in my family. And I, I still think it's something I should have done. I I actually liked doing because it developed me as a person because I was always very quiet during school. But during university, I seemed to step out of my shell because it's kind of a platform to give you a bit more. um, It kind of teaches you about the world. And I know there's lots of friends who I have now in entrepreneurship who don't like the education system. But I actually found the complete opposite because I found it gave me a platform to grow as a person educationally and personally. But it's kind of, Brunel especially at that point was actually, I would argue, a bit further ahead than a few other universities. And they had an entrepreneurship program. And I actually was on the business school for entrepreneurship. So they were doing quite well. I think they're a bit more advanced now. Some of the modules that I'd done were actually on what I was actually practicing already. So (laughs) So you carried on running your websites while, like throughout university? Yep, it was all a complete distraction. So when I should have been revising or should have been doing exams, I was actually instead in the library building websites or learning how to code something or telling a developer to do this or that. (laughs) I guess the world of creating websites and automating, basically automating income, could probably 
be quite a lonely world because when you realize that you can create your whole income without needing to speak to anyone, does that make you look around for other avenues in order to get those sort of social interactions of which university seems perfect because it's what everyone else is doing at the time as well? Yeah, and I think there was a big part of that was actually the kind of social interaction was something I wanted because it takes you out of your shell of trying to meet new people and learn about different cultures and about different kinds of people and how they work. And that's exactly why I like traveling a lot. And I've this year or the last two years, I tried to travel to a new country every month now just so I can carry on having that kind of experience of how others live and how others kind of adapt to lives and how the other people live in the world. But it was always a big part. So where did you get the travel bug from? Uh, so my mum's actually born in Fiji. So she's taken me around the world many times by the time I was 10 or 12. At that point, I think by the time I was 19 or 20, I'd already been around the world six times because Fiji's on the other side of the world from the UK. So I always had to travel there quite a lot. So when you, when you were traveling around the world with your, with your mum when you were younger, what kind of things did you get involved in? Like what kind of other cultures did you experience? Um, so to get to Fiji, you always had to go via Australia because you had to go one way around the world or you had to go via America because you, there's just no plane that will fly you all the way around the world. <laughs> not yet. Um, <laughs> not yet. I think there is now. I've been reading in the news that there is a plane that goes all the way around, but who knows. So it was always learning different cultures along the way. So sometimes we stopped in Australia, sometimes we stopped in America. And it was always interesting to meet people along the way. And in Fiji, the family where my mum grew up, they had a house there and my grandma lives there. And they know everyone on the island because it's quite a close-knit community. And that was always nice because I, I grew up in a kind of very urban area, which probably at that point I still didn't know my neighbours or anyone living on my street. But when you went into Fiji and you had this close-knit community, everyone knew everyone, which was a complete contrast to everything I was used to, which was always interesting. So all the travelling you did when you were younger, what from what age was that? So the travelling would have been whilst I would have been at primary school or high school, but it's kind of it used to be like every other summer. So we, my mum used to go back and visit my grandparents quite a lot, um, which I didn't realise how lucky I was at that point, because people always used to say I travel a lot, but now I realize that was probably quite a lot for a 14, 15 year old to keep going around the world quite a lot. So that's probably where I got it from. Proper travel bug. <laughs> but, that's per- <laughs> but that's amazing because it's very different from just, I don't know, spending a week in Tenerife, like actually kind of traveling around the world, like really, really meeting people from different cultures and then being immersed in a whole different culture in Fiji. Do you think there's anything that you that you picked up or became aware of at that time that has kind of impacted how you are today and how you see things today? Again, when I look back at it now, it probably did affect me quite a lot. But it's because it broadened my horizons because of people you meet and people who I even when I've come gone back to Fiji a few years ago, there's people I meet now who still remember all the stuff I'd done whilst I was out there. And I learned to ride a bike there, I had Christmas there, I had summer holidays there. So all of that stuff kind of builds up in your repertoire of like remembering all the things in the world that are quite good in the world, really. But it all helped me quite a lot in every kind of little way. So when you were growing up, we've talked about your business teacher and we've talked about your mom. So did you have any other role models that you looked up to or that you still look, look up to now? So there's no role models as per se. Um, I always thought... 
Richard Branson was always very inspirational, how he always had so many different avenues. I know he started an airline and then he had a music studio and then launched into a bank and radio stations. And I guess on like a very micro level, that's what we've kind of started doing now. And in some shape or form, I, that's exactly what I was trying to do when I was building all these different 80 websites because I realized that if one failed, one might actually work. <laughs> so I could always rely on one of them just to kind of work. But, um, so Richard Branson always paid quite a big part in my life whilst I was growing up because he was probably the big entrepreneur at that point. Can you remember your earliest memory of Richard Branson? I think it was when he went around the world um, on a hot air balloon, but I think it might have failed. I can't remember. Didn't the hot um, air balloon fly away on its own? It flew away or something, something happened. I think he couldn't do it until the next year. I think, I think that's my earliest memory of Richard Branson as well, but I don't. maybe it was just a really big story at the time. Yeah, I think, I think something did happen, but I think something failed. But he did go back the next year and actually done it. <laughs> yeah, he really did do everything. And even when he did Virgin Cola and it was really horrible, but... I love the fact that he just went for it and and just tried something else that he thought he could do better than the other people out there. And I don't know how many businesses he's had in total, but yeah, obviously some haven't worked, but then some have, have worked spectacularly. And that's all you need, isn't it? One, one to work incredibly well. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I think I've tried to do with all the little companies I've set up, which all still run once. Kind of, they're all still running in the background here and there. <laughs> let's talk about success what is your sort of definition and your version of, of what success looks like success to me is what I touched on upon earlier when I got to a point where the company was big enough and we were actually making a difference in people's lives so it wasn't kind of a monetary value it wasn't a set amount of revenue a set amount of profit a set amount of users it was actually when I when I can see that it actually makes a difference so we now reach around 100,000 people a day and they're, they're either opening our emails or they're clicking on our emails or reading our social media posts and it's those interactions that I think mean a lot to me now because those filter into other conversations and then we get lots of positive emails back from members saying oh I've got this stuff and I've got this and I've tried this and I love this so please keep on sending me lots of different products and it kind of filters through to the companies filters back to us so building that trust between the users and us seems to impact on me a lot more. So did you have a version of success when you were younger before you knew that you could like actually change people's lives with your websites? I think at that point it was probably more monetary driven um, and I just wanted to make some more extra pocket money. So it probably would have been something, I think a target I always set for people who are going into business for the first time is just to make £10 a day and and if you can make £10 a day and sustain it, then I guess you're moving in the right direction. Um, so I think, I think at that point, my goal was to make £5 or £10 a day. And once I hit that, I was trying to make £100 a day and then 1000 So <laughs> That's a really nice way of putting it. Maybe that could be your next book, £10 a day, and all the, different, all the different ideas and ways that people can make £10 a day. Exactly. No, that's, that's always the best way for kids who are just starting out I wish someone had told me that when I was younger I just didn't realize I think I was just experimenting with things so I didn't really have a real goal 
but it was just to make a bit of extra bathroom on the inside. But now it's a good idea for all the young kids. So did you have sounding boards and did you have like a like mentors? Like who did you go to to, to say, oh, I'm not really sure what to do next about this or to get advice from? So at that point, I don't know if everyone remembers 20 years ago, but they didn't have these wonderful Facebook and Twitter social media platforms. But we had a lot of Internet forums and that was probably my sounding board where I could post questions and problems and things that I was struggling with. I don't know if these exist anymore because I feel like for online forums have now disappeared with time. But they were my kind of support engine because they were the people who were in my industry and doing the same things I was doing because I couldn't go off to friends because they wouldn't understand anything about what I was doing. Family didn't have a clue what I was doing really until I went on Dragon's Den and actually told the world what I was doing. <laughs> but I guess those internet forums were the places that I met people or actually tried to engage with people. But after I started Latest Free Stuff, I also started my own community meetup group where I could meet other people, like-minded people. And that was always a clever way that I would always try and engage with people to kind of bring in this social interaction, especially when I was working on my own sometimes. And we grew that to about a 1,000 people um, in London. So that was always interesting. So you said that your family didn't have a clue what you were doing. Do they now? Do they get it now? Uh, now they do, but I, it's only because of Dragon's Den. So every person <laughs> I go up to now, it's only because they saw me on Dragon's Den and they know exactly what I do. Um, but if you'd, if I'd asked them before the pitch, they wouldn't have had a clue and they knew I'd done something with free stuff, but they had no idea what or how it worked. <laughs> it is incredible how many people are kind of the the internet career generation or or whatever the collective term is for for people doing this stuff and how many of their like aunties and uncles and grandparents are just like right okay so when are you going to go get a real job and it's like but this is a real job but it's just not it's not traditional that's all <laughs> and I actually had that conversation with my friends I think in the first year latest free stuff was set up some of the friends were the, the kind of response I had was that when are you going to go get a real job? And I actually applied to one of the companies that we work with now and was actually rejected from one of their recruitment companies, which was interesting. But they told me to go and get a job in this industry that I'm now working in. It actually happened to be two companies in the end where they just said no to me based on lack of experience. So, um, But I'm lucky. In the end, I carried on with latest free stuff and it seemed to seemed to work out okay. <laughs> so imagine a parallel universe where you'd been accepted for that job. How long do you think you would have lasted? I've no idea actually. I've never been a very good manager so I probably would have been okay in a large company in a large cog just kind of plugging along on the side but I guess now we just have a lot of freedom to do as we wish but even then managerial wise I'm not. I've never been a very good manager of people generally because I've never really been taught how to do that it's just things you read and life experience of how you want to how you want to be treated is all I try to do so a lot of our listeners are parents and they're kind of looking to talk to their kids about this kind of stuff which is why like, the 10 pound a day thing is so awesome because that is something that you could say to a 16 year old and and then they could start turning that into something what had people said to you that really shaped your path so I now still do talks at different meetups and different events now. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience. And sometimes they're people who want to get into entrepreneurship or don't know what they want to do yet. Um, and the thing I picked up from family or from 
friends, but it was more from family was that you had to work hard and actually go and do something. I always had this mantra whilst I was growing up, whilst I was building all these websites and actually working on latest free stuff on my own before I had staff. I was a salesperson, I was a social media person, I was a developer, I was customer service, I was every part of the company, and I was working 18-hour days at that point. But it was about plugging along and actually working on getting my idea off the ground, and that's what I think some people sometimes struggle with now, and instead they're distracted by Netflix or TV or cinemas or watching TV. And I now just tell people if at the end of the talk, go home and actually concentrate on your idea now. Um, it's so easy to now set up a social media presence on Facebook or Twitter. You can now set up a website within five, 10 minutes if you really want to. Sometimes it's completely free, so you don't even need to pay for these new platforms. And I'd argue your friends and family are probably your easiest way to get your first customers or even to test your idea. So I always tell people to just go out that evening or that weekend. Don't go to the party. Go and <laughs> go and just just go and get your idea off the ground. It's normally the best way to do it. Because um, if you're not going to do it, nobody's going to do it. So. How do you get past that point? How do, you, how do you have the trust to just keep going, even though you might not be seeing quick wins? So I'd probably say then you need to keep plugging away at things. I didn't see anything in latest free stuff for the first three, four months. And that's when I think I started applying for other jobs because people had told me to start applying for other jobs. But in hindsight, it was just about plugging away and building day by day. So I talked about the £10 a day, but my goal at that point was just to make £1 a day or £2 a day or £3 a day just to see if I could actually sustain a full-time job and that was the goal so if, if latest free stuff could sustain the same amount of money I would have made it a job I could carry on with it indefinitely and because I was living at home and I didn't have a lot of overheads and no responsibilities it was something that kind of fell into place and that is when to do it isn't it when you've just when you're at home when you, you're being looked after and you've just got your phone bill to pay for and you sort of just that's that's exactly when you've got the freedom to be able to just try stuff and not be too worried about it not going right exactly and I think that's the time that I'd recommend everyone to try and push if they are mums or dads to kind of push the kids into trying experimenting with new ideas and new things that they're interested in. Because I think even then kids don't know exactly what they want to do. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do until I was maybe 25. Um, even after university, I still had no idea what I wanted to do. I kind of, I had this dream of becoming an event planner, but that probably would have been a terrible idea in hindsight. <laughs> Completely a terrible idea. So. <laughs> so is there anything that you would have done differently? Looking back at everything now, I would have tried to grow everything even faster. Sometimes I'm a bit risk adverse and will try not to take too many risks. But in hindsight, if I look at how everything has planned out, we could have moved faster. We could have spent more money on advertising. We could have grown our users faster. Um, so we now try as much as we can to accelerate everything even faster. And I'd say that for anyone now, just try and work harder even if you haven't got a lot of money to kind of spend on advertising, try and put your own time into it to try and grow it even faster because each new customer you pick up could make the world of difference. Where does your risk averseness come from? 
I think that probably comes from my mum, funny enough. She was always quite uh, probably my perfect role model of how to save money and how to be frugal with money. She used to collect coupons every, apparently a few, 20 years ago, they used to drop coupons through the letterbox, which they don't anymore because everything's been digitized. But she used to collect all these coupons and then spend them at the supermarket. And she was always quite risk adverse with everything we done to make sure that we had a good life so she we, we she could always provide for kids and that's probably where it comes from but now I'm trying to always push away from that and take more risks but mainly because we have a platform to do it now so then the book that you put together how to live for free I was reading some of the reviews of it and like there's some absolutely glowing reviews of people who like really you really have made a difference in their life because they're just they're just trying out different stuff that they never would have thought of before so has it all been really positive reviews from the people who've read it yeah I think that took us by surprise because I guess the book was just an extension of trying to reach more people but I didn't realize it have such an impact in people's lives because we've I think in the end now we've had the book read or downloaded about 80,000 times and I had no idea when we re- when we wrote the book that it would ever reach that many people I thought it'd just be a side project which was more of an experiment but it seems to now be referenced when I sometimes I'm f- scrolling from my Facebook feed on some of the Facebook groups that we're part of and some people will actually reference the books um, as part of discussions on how to save money which which I had no idea would happen, but it seems to happen once in a while now. So, so how many of the tips do you use? Uh, I try and use as many as possible, but it's mainly because I try and always live in this industry. So I always stay current and up to date with everything I do. But I've got a coupon wallet. So I've got what always got coupons in my wallet of like things I need to claim. Today in the Metro, there was a voucher for free pack of Walker's Crisps, which is sitting on my desk, which I'm going <laughs> to claim when I go home. So on my route home, I'll go and claim that. So I try and live the life as much as I possibly can, just to make sure that we live exactly the same as everyone else does if you can actually live for free then making 10 pounds a day you'd feel like a millionaire you would exactly especially if you could make 10 pounds a day and there's lots of other tips in the book which helps you with kind of food and education and things you can learn so you would as you said it would make you be i think if you had 100 pounds a day it'd make you feel like a complete millionaire you can live anywhere in the world <laughs> so this is the secret then this is just the secret to happiness the secret to life we need to live for free and make a bit and find a business that makes you between 10 and 100 pounds a day and then you're absolutely sorted sorted for life <laughs> thank you so much for for joining us um, on the podcast how can people find out more about you and everything that you do i think the best place is probably twitter so my twitter is dpak taylor one it's d-double-e-p-a-k and then taylor one so that's probably the best place to find me awesome and then latestfreestuff.co.uk and your book is on amazon and it's called how to live for free yep that's one thanks dpak thanks jody This episode was brought to you by Clever Tykes Children's Storybooks. If you want to support the podcast and help share our ethos of inspiring, enterprising behavior, head over to clevertykes.com and order a set of the storybooks to give to a child that you know.